The reading this evening is taken from John chapter 4, starting at verse 4, reading to verse 26, and then 39 to 42. The words will come up on the screen. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. <clears throat> when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you ask me for a drink? You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is the word of God.
Oh man, thank you, Didier. It's great to be with you. For those of uh, you that I've not met, uh, my name's Tom. I'm part of the team here, and it's a real privilege to be continuing our series on what Jesus says to the challenges of our culture. And this afternoon, we're going to be thinking about restoration in a world that calls for retribution. But before we do anything else, I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you for this extraordinary story of encounter. And we pray that this afternoon, as we dig into this passage, that you would be with us, that you'd be speaking to us, and that you would be drawing us nearer to you. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this afternoon, we're looking at a kind of boy meets girl story. When she was preaching on this passage this morning, Emily Berry uh, reminded us that some of the Old Testament's greatest love stories, so Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, Moses and Zipporah, began at a well. I didn't meet my girlfriend Sophie at a well. Um, We met at a wedding, cliche, I know. We've been sat together on the same table and we got chatting, I thought, She's amazing, she's funny, she's intelligent, she's beautiful. And she thought, who is this Muppet? Why won't he shut up? But then we got together and we sort of went for a coffee and gradually we got to know one another better. And then we started telling our friends, we've met this person in our lives. Our story this afternoon is not a romantic love story, but it has some of the same story beats, a moment of initial encounter, a moment of recognition, and then realisation with those around us that something has changed for us. It's not a romantic story, and yet it contains within it the greatest love story that has ever been told. So in John 4, uh, we read that Jesus was on the road with his disciples and they decide to stop for lunch. But this is not great route planning on Jesus' part. If you imagine the rough part of the town or city where you grew up, maybe that's where you grew up yourself, I don't know. Um, But the place you were told never to go to, that's where Jesus has chosen for their lunch stop. Many people making this journey would have avoided this area altogether, taken the long way round just to avoid it. And Jesus has sent his disciples to go and get food whilst he waits by the well. He's tired and he's thirsty. Something we have to realise is that if you're thirsty in first century Sikar, you can't just grab a bottle of Evian. Water is hard to come by. It involves effort, work, collecting, planning. This is also a reminder to us of Jesus' humanity. He's thirsty. He's tired. And amazingly, a woman comes to draw water from the well. Why amazingly? Well, Everyone knew, you see what I did there? No, everyone knew in Jesus' time that you didn't come to draw water from the well at noon. Not in the middle of the day when the sun is at its hottest. You come early in the day, even maybe before the sun has risen. 
But I don't believe that this woman is here by accident. She's an outcast. She's avoiding people. We find out later in this passage why that is. But I don't think it's Jesus by, is here uh, on his own in the middle of the day by accident either. I think God has planned this meeting. He set it up and it has something powerful to say to us about who God is. So, back to the well. What does Jesus do? He asks for water. He says, give me a drink, I'm thirsty. This woman's response might surprise us. She's like, how come you're asking me for a drink? Inside she's saying, who is this guy? It's a surprise to us, but it wouldn't have been a surprise to the first readers of this gospel. They would probably react in exactly the same way as the woman has. Why? Well, firstly, She's a woman. It would be scandalous for a man and a woman who are not married to be found speaking alone together in Jesus' time. Secondly, she is a Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jews have a long history of not getting along very well. And when I say history, I mean about 500 years worth. We're talking Montagues and Capulets, Jets and Sharks, City and United, Gryffindor and Slytherin. They should not be talking to one another. Thirdly, if she's coming to draw water from the well at noon, she's clearly avoiding the other women who would be doing it early in the morning. So not only is this woman an outcast, part of an outcast community, She's been cast out, or perhaps cast herself out. A cast out outcast. She's unlikely to be a woman of outstanding moral character. In even speaking to this woman, Jesus is reaching across a gender barrier, a racial barrier, a cultural barrier, and a moral barrier. I don't know about you, but if I was looking to bring change to a village, I'd seek out people of influence. The mayor or the council leader or the headmaster of the school, perhaps. People of upstanding moral character. But God does as he does time and time and time again in scripture and history and picks the most unlikely a moral outcast, a complete outsider, even within her own marginalised part of society, to reveal himself to. And through her, to bring transformation, not just to herself, but to everybody around her. And she knows it. So her response to his very sensible request for water is actually very reasonable. Why are you talking to me? She's in shock. Jesus' response is surprising. He uses his physical thirst and need for water to unlock a spiritual reality and a spiritual longing. If you knew who I am, you'd ask me for a, spirit, for a drink of living water. The woman's response, again, is very practical. 
where are you going to get that from? This well is at least two double-decker buses deep, and you haven't got a bucket. Just to clarify, they didn't have double-decker buses in first century Samaria, but you get what I'm trying to say. Jesus explains that the water he's offering is not just normal water. It's spiritual water that satisfies the soul. Once you've drunk this water, you'll never be thirsty again. And so she, quite sensibly, says, well, give me the water then. Jesus chooses the most unlikely person, the most unlikely people, and invites them to come as they are. But he loves us and he loves her too much to leave us as we are. What Jesus says next, again, might surprise us. He calls out her adulterous behaviour. Jesus, this isn't the way to win friends and influence people. This is not, don't, what are you doing? We don't exactly know the details, but we know from the text that she's had five husbands and that the man she currently has, which is euphemistic, she isn't married to. And we know what happened to women caused in adultery in Jesus' time. It could be a death sentence. We see that in John 8, retribution. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he expose her personal circumstance? Partly, he's revealing who he is. Her response is that, well, if you know that detail, you must be somebody special. She's already thinking, who is this guy? Why is he talking to me? He's demonstrated that he knows something deeply personal about her. But I think it's even deeper than that. I think this is all part of the same conversation that they're having about living water. I don't know if you've ever been truly thirsty. It's an unusual thing, perhaps, in our society where water is just so readily available. Our bodies need water. When I was about nine years old, I woke up one morning and I could hardly breathe. I couldn't think, I couldn't understand what was going on, but something innate within me said, you need to drink something. You need water. And I couldn't stand, so I crawled to the bathroom tap and drank from the tap because I, I just couldn't do anything else. And then gradually I found I could stand and do normal things again. And this went on for a little while. I didn't tell my parents, don't do that, that's not sensible. Um, until blood tests revealed that I had cancer. My body was fighting itself, and one of the symptoms was severe dehydration. Our bodies can't work without water. They start to shut down. We all have a yearning inside of us for more. Only the living water that Jesus offers will satisfy that longing. And yet we try to fill that gap with other things. Work, money, possessions, achievements. I think this woman has tried to satisfy that longing with relationships and sex. But it hasn't worked. 
she launches into a whole thing about, well, you, that is the Jews, worship on this mountain, and we, that is the Samaritans, we worship on this one. We can't both be right. Maybe we're all wrong. Maybe there's no such thing as right or wrong. Does that kind of argument sound familiar to you, perhaps? She's asking one of the biggest questions of our time and of all time, well, what is truth anyway? Is anything true? Is there really a right way to live? Jesus says to her and to us, don't look at the mountain, look at me. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus doesn't want retribution. He wants a relationship with us and through that to restore us. You know what the interesting thing is? This woman, she gets it. She sees Jesus for who he is. She's been waiting for the Messiah and here he is right in front of her. She goes from saying, who is this guy? To him saying, I who speak to you am he. And her saying, I know who you are. You're the one. I don't know if you've ever had a friend who's got into a new relationship or found the love of their life and just won't shut up about it. That's what happens next. She goes from saying, who is this guy? To I know who you are, you're the one, to I have to tell you about this person I've just met who's changed my life. What is extraordinary about this is that this woman who's been ostracised goes to the very people she's been avoiding who've cut her off and says, I have to tell you something. Jesus is not in the business of retribution He's in the business of restoration. And this woman's restoration comes through and with reconciliation with her community. We see Jesus do this again with Zacchaeus, an outcast, cast out because of the way he's treated his community. He's cheated them, restored by Jesus, and reconciled to his community. It is extraordinary what God can do through just one person. It's extraordinary what he can do in one person's life, but it's extraordinary what he can then do through them. In the passage that Dittier read to us, it said, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. In the bit of the passage that we missed in the middle, Jesus used this as a teaching opportunity with his disciples and says, the fields are white for harvest. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This woman starts off thinking, who is this guy? Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe it's time for you to explore the claims of Jesus for yourself. Then she realizes, I know this guy. He's the one. Maybe you've recently had that moment of recognition and realisation of who Jesus is to you. Maybe even that's happened for you today. Or 
Perhaps you realised that a long time ago, but you're realising it afresh today. Maybe today you need to choose to put your trust in Jesus. Or perhaps you need to get out there and say to your community, those you know, I met a guy, he's changed my life. You've got to meet him too. Jesus can use you. You may have counted yourself out because of your past, but it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus can use you. This whole encounter starts because Jesus says, I'm thirsty. And he'll say that again on the cross, the last words before he dies. I'm thirsty. It says in John 19, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And they give him some some wine on a stick to drink. And when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is where the Father's desire for us to be reconciled to himself takes Jesus to the cross. He takes the retribution we deserve on himself so we can receive living water that will quench our thirst, so we can be reconciled to the Father so we can be restored to our rightful place in relationship with him. Our redemption, our reconciliation, our restoration is all achieved at the cross. We're going to remember that in just a moment with communion and enact that as we share communion together. I just want to leave us with some words from Isaiah 55. The prophet says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. That is the invitation to us this afternoon, to drink the living water that takes us from a place of retribution to a place of restoration. Amen.